Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. With us today is author Jared Dillion. Jared's one of the authentic, unfiltered voices in finance and trading. He's also a true polymath. His newsletters include the Daily Dirt Nap, which is a daily market newsletter for investment professionals, and We're Gonna Get Those Bastards, which is about everything depraved, especially finance, culture, music, and sex. He has a new book coming out in early 2024 called No Worries, which brings his unique perspective to personal finance topics with the goal of helping people reduce anxiety around the wealth building process. Back to the polymath part. In his spare time, Jared is a progressive house DJ, a short story writer, and speaks frequently on mental health issues at financial institutions. It's Jared's ability to cultivate his creative side that sets him apart from the rest. Welcome aboard, Jared. Hey there. Well, I'm thrilled you're on. You are one of the most unfiltered voices in finance, and I find that to be really refreshing. Can we swear on the podcast? Oh, please do. Okay. You said unfiltered, so that was the first thing I thought of. (laughs) When I open up the door like that, you should run right through. (laughs) But you come from a background that is particularly interesting. You come from sort of the Coast Guard background through Lehman Brothers and then into this finding your voice and a really cool writing background. Maybe take us through a little bit about how you came to where you are right now. I'll try to condense it a little bit. I've always been a writer. In high school, I won a ton of writing awards. I won writing awards in college. Then I kind of got away from it. And I was at Lehman in 2004, and I'd just been named the head of ETF trading. And the head of equity derivatives at the time said, your job isn't really to trade ETFs. Your job is to market our ETF business. So... He didn't really explain what he meant by that. And I was kind of stuck. I'm like, you mean like taking out billboards, TV ads? Like, what do you mean? So I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start writing market commentary. And that's how we're going to advertise the business. So I started writing these Bloomberg messages, which were literally like one page on Bloomberg. So like 200 words. So like we're talking about like micro nonfiction. And I would put a lot of time and effort into these. And they really started to go viral. And over the course of a couple of years, I had like 3,000 people on my list. And it really just got to be bigger than the business itself. I had a huge following. And then at the bankruptcy, I said, well, I can make a business out of this. I'm going to start a newsletter. So that's what I did in 2008. I started the Daily Dirt Nap. And I've been doing it for 15 years. In fact, I think the anniversary date is October 12th. So... In six days, it'll actually be exactly 15 years that I've been doing it. I mean, 15 years of anything is unbelievable, but something that takes the self-discipline like that is incredible. And I know that you've got different newsletters now. How do you think about that in terms of the topics and maybe the long form versus short form? And how do you keep it all organized? I don't really know. I do write some newsletters from Alden in addition to the Daily Dirt Nap. I have a couple of monthly newsletters. I have to write one this weekend. I've also, as you know, I've written four books. Street Free came out in 2011. That was the first one. How do I keep it all straight? I don't know. 
I generally write on average three or 4,000 words a day, which is a lot for various publications. I also wrote for Bloomberg Opinion for five and a half years. I was an opinion columnist and I, I stopped doing that about a year ago. So yeah, I just write all the damn time. I just write constantly. Do you wake up in the morning and have a structure? Do you get in and you're like, okay, at 5 a.m. I wake up, maybe do 15 push-ups or something like that, and then go and sit at a <laughs> desk and crank that out? Or is it more sporadic? I mean, I definitely have a routine. I don't get up at 5. I get up around 6.30. That's a little more humane. I currently have an office. This is the office that I'm renting at the moment. I work in an office building downtown. When the new house is built, I'll work out of the house. I'm going to have a dedicated office space. And I generally write the Daily Dirt app in the morning and I write other stuff in the afternoon and I have to handle all the subscription bullshit and payments. And I do that in the afternoon. I do podcasts. and But I also travel a lot. I'm constantly traveling, speaking at conferences and stuff. And I publish the newsletter while I'm traveling and it just doesn't stop. Maybe take us back. You were writing for Bloomberg Opinion a little bit. Is there something different about writing for them and maybe a different editorial process on that front that you were able to break away from in sort of having more control over your own writing? Well, I have nothing but good things to say about Bloomberg. They helped me to be a better writer. It was interesting because Bloomberg kind of has their own style manual, and I had an editor and Typically, when I write something for a newsletter, like I do one draft and it's done and that's good enough. And writing for Bloomberg, I had several drafts. I would do like three or four or five drafts and it was really, really time consuming, but their standards were pretty strict and stuff had to be perfect. So that was challenging. So I was lucky enough to speak at your event, your Daily Dirt Nap meeting with a bunch of different people who came to sort of hear a lot of experts that you lined up. Is there a difference between locating out of South Carolina versus the Northeast? Has that had any particular impact on you or is that really just separate from your writing in general? Well, first of all, South Carolina is great and Myrtle Beach. I mean, Myrtle Beach itself is kind of a dump, but I live in Pauly's Island and Pauly's Island is great. The weather is great. The people are great. I love it here. I'm never leaving. Like, it's amazing. One of the nice things about it is that you get out of the New York bubble. And I focus on sentiment. My whole investment strategy centers around sentiment. And New York has a lot of smart people, but it has what I like to call smart, dumb sentiment. It's a lot of smart people who kind of herd and aggregate into groups and think the same so you have like a lot of really, really smart people who have very bad ideas. And New York is famous for that. And so I actually did the Daily Dirt Nap for a year and a half in New York before I moved down here. And I would say moving down here has been a huge benefit because I'm outside of that bubble and I'm not talking to those people. I mean, I talk to those people, but I have a completely different perspective. Who do you read or what do you do to get outside perspectives? How do you stay involved with New York or elsewhere, but also reach out to other folks so that you have different inputs than maybe you might have had when you were back up in New York? To be honest, I mean, you ask me who I read. I get that question a lot and I don't read anybody. Like it was funny because when I started the Daily Dirt Nap, I was like, this is great. I'm going to have all this time. I'm going to subscribe to all these other newsletters. I'm going to read all these other people. And I did that in the beginning. Then it was like fucking me up because I was reading other people's opinions and they were getting in my head. And like, it was 
messing with my process. So I would read Jim Grant's newsletter and then I would start like stealing his ideas and putting them in my newsletter. But that's not really what people are paying for. People are paying for my ideas. So I had to stop doing that. And really, the only thing I read is like news and Twitter. I read Twitter for sentiment and news for just getting raw news. But in terms of would I ever subscribe to somebody like Luke Groman to get his take on things? Absolutely not. I can't do that. Number one, I would steal his ideas. And number two, it would mess with my process. So I don't read anybody. So we get to a couple of longer form situations. The first one is your recent book, We're Going to Get Those Bastards, which I really enjoyed. And for those listening, it's a series of essays, I'd say, drawn on your experience and imparting a lot of what I would call life advice. What was the theory behind doing that? It started out, I guess, as sort of the manifestation of a consistent, for lack of a better word, blogging experience. But what were you trying to achieve with that? And what did you get out of it? Well, Those Bastards, the book, came out of we're going to go get Those Bastards, the blog. The blog was actually a class project. I got my MFA in creative writing from Savannah College of Art and Design. So I was still in school at the time. And Basically, the project for this class, it was called Writing for Digital Communication. The project was to start a blog. And all the students in the class started a blog and they got like 10 followers, 12 followers, stuff like that. And I started one and I got thousands of followers. And the one thing I wanted to do with the blog was to make it not about finance, like writing about non-financial things, like anything but finance. So... I wrote about addiction. I wrote about suicide. I wrote about all different kinds of stuff. And it got so popular. I was like, you know, these are all very clean essays. I can take all these essays and put them in a book and sell them as a book. So that's what I did. It came out in April and it's done great. And actually, at this point, I have enough essays for a second book, which I hope to do next year or the year after. It's been terrific. And it's funny because... I've always needed an outlet for that kind of writing. And I used to write that kind of stuff in the Daily Dirt Nap and people would be like, look, like this is an investment newsletter. I don't really need your opinions on this. So it's a good place for that type of writing that I had always wanted to do and not put it in the newsletter. I guess this is sort of a weird question in the sense of in the Venn diagram of the people who follow the Bastards blog versus the Daily Dirt Nap, how much of that intersects? And if a lot doesn't intersect, has that new perspective really helped to make the Daily Dirt Nap better somehow? So I would say there's probably about 30% overlap between the two. I am a perfectionist about the essays on the blog. I really take the time to make them clean and I'm very particular about the writing And I think it's made me a better writer because I'm doing those blog posts about every five or six days generally. So it's a lot of writing and it forces me to constantly be thinking about stuff. So I think it's made me a better writer. Speaking of better writer, you've now got a new book coming out. I guess early 2024, and that's called No Worries. I know little about it other than just some missives that have come across and pre-ordering it. Tell us a little bit about what that's going to be. So No Worries, How to Live a Stress-Free Financial Life. It is a personal finance book. From 2019 to 2021, I had a radio show. It was a nationally syndicated radio show on personal finance. The goal was to put Dave Ramsey out of business. It failed. Dave Ramsey won. 
the radio show lost a bunch of money and we had to shut it down. But for the two years that I was on the radio, radio show prep is a lot of work. I prepped a lot of different topics and I found myself coming to the same conclusions over and over again, which was guiding people in a direction where they take action to reduce their financial stress. Okay. Let me give you an example. Obviously, interest rates are higher now, so this doesn't really apply. But back in 2019, I would get this question all the time. People would say to me, look, I have a 3% mortgage and I can invest in the stock market and get 8%. Why would I pay down my mortgage? And so I would say, okay, like this is a decision theory problem, right? You can get a certain 3%, that's a certainty equivalent, or you can get an uncertain 8%. But I said, really, you want to do the thing that is going to reduce your financial stress, which means paying down the mortgage, even though it makes no economic sense. And I got a lot of pushback from people on that. Mostly people on Wall Street said, stupid, if you have a couple hundred thousand laying around, like, why would you pay down your mortgage? You want to invest that in the stock market. You can borrow 3%. And I'm like, absolutely not. If you put that money in the stock market and you lose money, you will still have your debt and you will have losses and your stress will go up, right? So my whole plan has been about having people do what makes them happy. Not necessarily what gets them the most money. A lot of people conflate those two things. They think that if they do what gets them the most money, then they will be happy. But a lot of times that isn't the case. Just an example directly related to that, personally speaking, I don't know, this was about four or five years ago. I had a low mortgage rate adjustable and I locked in it, I guess it was three and a quarter or something like that for 15 years. And all my friends who were thinking along the Wall Street lines that you just described were saying, you're crazy. And I said, yeah, I'm crazy, but it makes me feel good every time I write that check that I'm whittling it down and there's something emotional to it that goes beyond what's called economically rationally thinking is the right thing to do. And in a backdoor way, it had ended up great because I locked it in and now at mortgage rates getting close to 8%, if not over, I completely don't have that stress. And it came out of a economically irrational decision if you went back in time that way. So I identify with that completely. Yeah. That's just like 1% of the book. It talks about basically how to approach your financial life in terms of credit cards and mortgages and car loans, but also investing. Like basically, there's only two sources of financial stress, debt and risk. It's debt or risk, and that is it. And you have a lot of people say, well, what if you just don't have enough money? What if you're poor? And I'm like, that's not a source of financial stress. You have lots of poor people that pay their bills and they don't have any debt and they don't have any risk and they're perfectly happy. Then you have guys like Elon Musk who buy Twitter and they almost get a margin call and the richest guy in the world almost goes BK because he had too much leverage, the richest guy in the world. So like he's got financial stress. I wouldn't trade places with him. I wouldn't trade places with Elon Musk in a million years. I mean, it's all about making choices that reduce your stress and make you happy. Let's switch quickly, because one of the great things about you that I really look from afar and enjoy is your creative endeavors. You're a DJ, you compose your own music, and you write fiction. You got your MFA in that. And I talk a lot to people tangentially to wealth topics about needing to keep your creative pilot light on. And when that goes out, that's a problem, because then in my opinion, life sort of careens off the side of the road. 
How do you put that in the context of your overall situation with the writing and your own personal business model? Or maybe a better way to put it is, at what point did you decide to make that a priority? I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know at what point, but I can tell you that I spend, out of the 16 hours a day that I have to work on stuff, I spend probably 30% of the time doing things that I have to do and 70% of the time doing things that I want to do. So things are getting busy now with the book launch. Things are starting to pick up. I'm on a bunch of podcasts and TV and stuff like that. But in the last four or five months, I've written like 14 short stories. And basically the Daily Dirt app, I hate to say it, it doesn't take me a lot of time. I mean, if I wanted to work a four-hour day, I could. I prefer not to because I kind of have to be in front of the screens and watch the market and stuff like that. But in the time that other people spend watching Netflix and drinking beer, I am pursuing those creative endeavors. I'm doing music. I'm doing writing. What keeps me sane? That is absolutely what keeps me sane. To echo on that front, people ask why I do podcasts and write and do all the other things that I do, whether it's graphic novels or horror movies and all that stuff. And my answer to that is I just have to. There's something deep down inside that if I'm not scratching that itch, I get very unhappy. (laughs) And it's a personal thing. I find ways to do it in conjunction with my day job responsibilities and so on. But to ignore that, I get depressed real fast. And I hear what you're saying. (laughs) How much time purely investing, like trading or anything like that, do you spend or have to spend in a day, A, to keep literate in the markets, but then B, are you doing a lot of trading or anything like that? Or is that something that you've got compartmentalized and it doesn't take very long? When I was 24, my ambition was to become a trader. Like I wanted to become a trader. And when I was 34, I was like, well, maybe I'll trade for myself. Maybe I'll day trade S&P minis, maybe I'll day trade bonds, maybe I'll trade for myself. And the older I get, the more I hate trading. I hate it. I really wish I didn't have to do it. Like you said, I have to do it in order to stay financially literate and keep abreast of what's going on in the markets. And I do occasionally make money on it, but I don't like it anymore. I don't enjoy it. I wrote this book about minimizing your financial stress And yet I have a job which increases my financial stress. And I really wish, it's not like I don't like the Daily Dirt app. I like to write, but I wish I didn't have to do this job. I just, I don't enjoy trading anymore. I don't find it fun. In the book, I talk about the awesome portfolio, which I think you know about, which is sort of my long-term solution for portfolio management. And I really would like to just put all my money in that and forget about it. Ed, and turn that 30-70 ratio you described before and whittle it down to 20 or 15 and bump up the rest of it. Makes a lot of sense to me. So we'll wind down here a little bit, but what are you worried about out there, either in the markets or outside the markets? As you look out in the world today, what's concerning you? I mean, look, like nothing really concerns me. I'm not politically active. I don't get involved in politics. It's funny, like... When I was writing for Bloomberg, I kind of felt like I had an axe to grind and I was trying to change things. And some things actually did change. Like some of the pieces I wrote actually did affect change, but I don't care. Now, if you ask me like what bad things do I think are going to happen? Well, it's kind of already happening. This whole debt situation is like we're kind of getting a margin call as we speak. And if we don't do something about it, it's going to get worse. And I think sort of the long-term dynamics around debt and deficits are really bad, and it's not going to have a happy ending. 
And I get worried about politics a little bit. I'm worried about polarization. And I mean, this next election is fucking crazy. You could have one candidate in jail and the other candidate like almost dead. And like, <laughs> it just, it's insane. I mean, literally, this is insanity. And I don't like the fourth turning. I don't like that book. I don't like this idea of deterministic history that we are doomed to repeat the mistakes over and over again. And it's all social psychology and we run in cycles. Like, I don't believe any of that stuff. Having said that, this is real fourth turnings type stuff that we're going through right now. And if I stop to think about it, it scares me, but mostly I don't stop to think about it. I just do my thing. So we're not completely nihilistic on this front. Optimism. What's out there that you feel good about? I believe in the goodness of people. I believe that people are inherently good. I see a lot of positives of human nature. I don't want to throw out a bunch of buzzwords like AI and stuff like that, but progress never stops. Like we keep moving forward and people's standards of living keep increasing. They don't have to keep increasing. They can go backwards. In some places of the world, they do go backwards. But as long as we have a framework of rule of law and property rights and things like that, there will continue to be prosperity in this country. In the United States, what's funny, like our per capita GDP is well over any other country. We've gotten so much richer in the last 20 years relative to the rest of the world. And whatever makes that keep happening, I'm all in favor of. Terrific. This is great stuff. How do people find the newsletter? How do people find the books? How do people find you? Okay, well, the newsletter is a big ask because it's expensive. But if you do want to subscribe to the newsletter, go to dailydirtnap.com. There's a little subscribes button and you just send me an email. And if you mention Frazier's podcast, I will give you an enormous discount, an enormous discount. The book, No Worries, How to Live a Stress-Free Financial Life, it's on Amazon. It's everywhere. It's in every bookstore around the world. It comes out January 23rd pre-order it. I got to tell you, this is probably the only book I'll ever write in my life where I have a realistic chance of making the New York Times bestseller list. And if we get enough pre-orders before the release date, that could happen. So please buy a book. It's 27 bucks. Amazon has the price guarantee. It'll probably go down. So you'll probably get it for like 22 bucks or something like that. And it's an amazing book. It'll change the way you think about money. And just from an endorsement standpoint, I haven't read the book. It hasn't come out, so I've pre-ordered it and I'm looking forward to it. But Jared's writing in general, I think it's eye-opening and again, unfiltered. And I think it's an extremely helpful opinion in what I would describe as a sea of sameness out there. I really appreciate what you do and the time and commitment that you put into it. Thank you for being on. This is a real treat. Thanks, Frazier. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to WealthActually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management, LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of the guests. <laughs>